Hey, I'm Rick Sanchez. This is the Rick Sanchez podcast. And we have this conversation with people that you get to hear on this podcast because you're not going to hear from them anywhere else. In fact, I'm going to have a special conversation coming up in just a little bit. I know that sounds a little silly, a special. Sounds like I'm talking to a five-year-old. It's a special hot dog. It's a special meal. No, uh, this really is interesting because I try to bring people to this podcast who you would not hear on MSNBC or Fox or quoted in the New York Times because they don't fit whatever those, those particular media outlets want to say or want you to hear. So they get to say things that are different, more balanced, really. And, and today, there's so much to talk about. Zelensky, um, and then Ukraine, and a little China. By the way, the thing with Zelensky, I think, is fascinating. And again, this is something you won't... Why you, why you won't hear this on CNN or Fox or any of these other channels is crazy. But here we go, in a major concession... Kiev is now saying it's willing to start peace talks with Russia. I mean, you know, Zelensky's been pretty bold about, no, I'm not going to talk to that monster Putin, and I hate him, and I'm not going to talk. But here he is now being quoted as saying, well, I'm willing to sit down and talk, especially if the forces reach Crimea. This is being reported by the Financial Times, by the way, in an April 6th article, if you want to look for it yourself. Always important to reveal sources. Look, the reason I say this to you is because I was watching a documentary on Amazon Prime, and the documentary is called The Movement and the Madman. Check it out. The Movement and the Madman. So it's the story of the Vietnam War and how Everybody in this country, including members of Congress and people in the peace movement and, and mothers and housewives and fathers and college students and everybody, it seemed, was saying in one voice, why are we still in this stupid war? Why are we fighting this war, this war in Vietnam? And, and, and you, what you understand, by the way, the madman is, just to let you know, the madman is uh, Nixon. Because he wants the Vietnamese to think he's a madman and he's about to nuke them so that they'll back down. But they don't. And every day, you know, uh, thousands of Americans die and tens of thousands of, in some cases, Vietnamese are dying, children, and all the things that we did. And after a while, we just figured it out. The American people figured it out. And this war should stop. And that's the reason LBJ was taken out of office. For those of you too young to remember, he was he literally said, I'm not even going to run because I can't win because of the Vietnam War. Well, Nixon comes in and you think Nixon, seeing that the guy before him, his predecessor, was knocked out by the Vietnam War, you think he would come out and say, OK, I'm going to put an end to the Vietnam War. Instead, no, he puts literally gas on the fire. And people are saying to him, let's get the hell out of this thing. And for those of you, again, too young to remember, it was a big deal. And there were marches on Washington. And there were members of the clergy. And there were rabbis. And there were priests. And there were housewives. And there were kids. And there was everybody in the country. But the most important thing for that son of a bitch Kissinger and that piece of crap Nixon at this time 
was we must prolong the war. This war must continue. Watch it. It's, it's amazing how they did it. And, and it makes us upset now. And anybody, any one of us who's now, you know, educated in this country and looks back at that, we ask ourselves, for what? Because we didn't like the form of government that they were possibly going to have? Oh, by the way, today Vietnam is our number one trading partner, right? And by the way, we lost that war. Just in case you were wondering, well, yeah, of course they are because we beat them. No, we lost the war. But why am I talking about this? The reason I'm talking about this is because of what's going on in Ukraine. And the fact that Financial Times is now reporting that Zelensky is willing to start peace talks with Russia if its forces reach the Crimea border. And you know what's interesting about this? Um, we don't want them to talk peace. Again, what, what did I just say that happened in Vietnam? Nixon and Kissinger wanted to make sure the, the war continued at all costs. No matter what happened, they were not going to let the war stop. And people would come to the White House and meet with them and they'd say, no, we're not stopping the war. In fact, we're increasing the war. More, more troops, more bombs, more soldiers. And by the way, we used to only be in Vietnam. Now we're going into Cambodia. And now we're going to go into Laos. So we're, we're going to expand it. We're going to proliferate it. it. It was crazy. And I'm watching this now. And what do I think of that happened last year? I mean, the Ukrainian news outlet, right? part of Pravda with one big long name there that I can't even pronounce, uh, reported that the United States, along with the presence of British Prime Minister Boris Johnson, used a surprise visit to Kiev to pressure President Zelensky to cut off peace negotiations with Russia. Even after, I'm reading here, even after the two sides appeared to have made some kind of tenuous progress toward a settlement to end the war. Think about that. Think about that. Considering what I just told you about what happened in Vietnam. Think about that. <laughs> Even when they want to try and stop fighting, we don't want them to stop fighting. That's us, baby. That's the country we all love. But a government and politicians and members of the military industrial complex, which I don't love, and neither should you. Can you imagine? By, by the way, I'm not saying they would have come up with a peace deal for all I know it would have gotten worse. I'm not saying any of that. I'm just saying here we have multiple reports that when both sides wanted to finally sit down and have a conversation, we said, no, no, we don't want peace. Hell no. Just, it's, it's just a fascinating revelation. And who's looking good in all of this? China. I mean, China, China goes and negotiates a peace deal between the Saudis and the Iranians. What the? I mean, China? This, this is what we used to do. We were the guys who went in and negotiated deals. By the way, China's investing in Panama. Big. I mean, the Xi Jinping government just completed a convention center uh, in, in several uh, South American countries, but the biggest one of all was in Balboa, run by a Chinese-linked firm. And it's not just China. China's, it's not just in Panama. China's going, out, going around. They're spending billions of dollars all over Latin America. Full court press on leaders in Latin America. They're flying in executives. They're flying them to Beijing. 
you know, in Argentina, Brazil, Ecuador, countless others. And, you know, they go in there and they say, we're going to help build your roads. We're, we're going to do a new uh, desalination plant. We're going to do a new convention center. And, you know, and I'm just thinking here as an American, I, I want my country to be doing this stuff. We're sending troops and bombs and wars. China's sending, you know, it's like, are they outsmarting us? I mean, by the way, are China's intentions dubious? Are they completely on the up and up? I, of course not. Nobody goes in and gives you anything without wanting something in return. But here's the reality. Nobody's turning down the money. Ain't nobody turning down that money in Latin America. And a lot of people all over the world now are, are, are welcoming China's leadership. So what the hell does that say? And, and that's why this is important. You know, Latin America in particular, and I say this because I'm a Latino in America, and I look at Latin America and how much we've either ignored it or exploited it in the past. You know, this does not bode well for, for us, for, 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 for the United States, for our foreign policy, because fair or not, the consensus in Latin America is the following. And I'm just going to tell you what it is as a guy who grew up in, you know, with a, with a Hispanic dad who always told me this. The consensus among Latinos in the United States is that the United States does nothing in Latin America but uses political and military might. That's, that's what we did in, in, in the Dominican Republic with Trujillo. That's what we did in Colombia. That's what we did in Panama. Uh, that's what we did recently in Bolivia. That's what we did in Chile when we assassinated or had Allende killed. That I mean, this is what we do, folks. And it's, and it's tough to say it. Because, you know, I love this place as much as anybody else, but I think it's time for a pivot in terms of how we deal with these things. You know, it, it pisses me off that China is the one that's cutting a deal between Saudi Arabia and Iran. And it's not us. Meanwhile, we're proliferating a proxy war in Yemen, where according to the UN, 50,000 children have died. So we just got to get better at this, you know? We just got to get better at this. I mean, th these are some of the realities of what... I mean, there's actually, to me, there, there actually seems a sense now that China's influence worldwide and uh, Africa... By the way, Russia's making overtures in Africa too. All these countries are going in there and they're and they're changing what what did they used to call it during when we were doing the uh, Iraq war we got to go in there and change hearts and minds well that didn't work but but these guys seem to have come upon a formula that we need to steal from we we need to be the benevolent ones right what china's doing in africa what china's doing in parts of uh, the middle east obviously what china's doing in in latin america especially in latin america is uh, bringing about this. They're positioning China's leader, Xi Jinping, as the face of China's global rise and newfound influence. In fact, it's getting to the point when we think of a global leader, we think of right now, I hate to say it, and maybe you don't know this if you don't read you know, international press, but right now the superstar in the global community is this guy Xi Jinping. It's not Biden, it's not Trump, it's not Obama, it's not Bush, it's not Clinton. In fact, I would almost argue we haven't had a guy like this dude, Ping here, uh, Xi Jinping. I guess his name is Xi. 
uh, in quite a while in this country. And that's something to think about. I mean, she she's she has elevated himself to almost a, a kind of a vaulted status um, where he's comfortable enough now to walk up to like, he recently walked up to the Canadian prime minister and said, man, what are you, what are you doing? Why are you lying about us? Why are you doing these things? Why are you saying these things? So I, I mean, I know, and listen, I'm not here to defend China. China does all kinds of shit that I hate. And uh, I'm not for having a uh, economic system like China's. Although there are things about China's economic system that are in some ways better, if not comparable to ours. Um, I think to a certain extent, there's a certain level of crony capitalism in ours that I wish we could get rid of. I think the tie between politicians buying off, being bought off by big business is something we need to improve on. But we've talked about all of these things. So not everything about us is perfect. And certainly I'm not saying that China's economy is great or that, you know, the privileges in the life of people in China is better than ours. And I'm not saying any of that stuff. What I'm saying is we have to have a more balanced view of what's actually going on in the world today. This is what I try to do. And, and, and we need to stop living in little silos where we only watch MSNBC because they tell us to hate such and such. Or Fox, because they tell us to hate such and such. Or the New York Times, or this one or that one. I mean, that's why um, I had a reporter come to my house yesterday from uh, the Tampa Tribune. It's called Florida Trends Magazine. And she was asking me some of the things that I want to work on. And I've told her, I said, as a Latino, I want to make people under, understand in the business community and in the United States that Latinos are good for the U.S. economy. That we're the fastest growing GDP in the world. Well, we're third behind the United States and, uh, and, and China, right? Um, and that we're the fifth largest GDP period. And, and that, that's good for the United States. The other thing I, I, I told her that I think is important that I want to make now that I'm older and a little wiser and a little more successful, kind of my mission is ubiquity. I, I, I am striving for ubiquity. I'll tell you how far I go. You, you guys know this because you, you've seen me on TYT, right? I guess that is a progressive organization. You've seen me being interviewed by Tucker Carlson on Fox News several times. I guess that is a conservative organization. Uh, the Chinese television network has reached out to me to go on as a guest and answer questions based on stuff. I will go on there. The Russians have asked me to file reports for them. I will file reports for them and have. You see, we should not run from the opportunity to talk to our opponents or share our real ideas about what is truth and what is journalistically sound. So it means we all need to better understand China rather than just hate China without even knowing why we hate them. We need to better understand what's really going on in Ukraine and, and use some kind of sense of our own damn history. I don't know how the hell we forget our own lessons so fast. I mean, dare I say Korea? We lost. Shouldn't have gotten in in the first place. Vietnam? We lost. Shouldn't have gone in in the first place. Iraq? We lost. Shouldn't have gone in in the first place. Afghanistan? We lost. Shouldn't have gone in in the first place. And what are we doing now? 
oh, let's see if we can get ourselves in a bigger war, this time with a country that has more nuclear warheads than we do. I mean, look, all I'm saying is, as Americans, we need to open our eyes to this stuff and ask the right questions. You know? And, and, and in the process of not asking the right questions and allowing the buffoonery that is our government or our foreign policy leaders, who I, dare I say, are bought off by people who are getting very wealthy. How much have we earmarked for Ukraine? $103 billion? And I think we've already given them $75 billion? Damn it, man. That's more money than we fought in all the other wars. And are you getting that? How's that helping you? If you're some dude living in Arkansas, or I don't give a shit, Brooklyn, Queens, LA, wherever, Miami, how is that helping you? It's not. <laughs> in fact, it's you could make an argument that these efforts and the continuation of that war are making it tougher on most people living in the West. Not the guys who run, you know, Pratt and Whitney and those guys. They're making buck. They're making buck. So these are important conversations. And, and, I and, I, and, and I especially want to better understand China, how China got to where it is. Uh, I mean, it, I was actually reading a story recently that I'll share with you about how uh, it actually suggested, and I'm not saying this is true, but it actually suggested that Xi Jinping has reached Mao status. I mean, you know, when you think of China, hate him or love him, you think of Mao. When you think of uh, Cuba, love him or hate him, you think of Castro, right? Um, when you think of uh, whatever, you, every country has its, its, its leader, good, bad, indifferent, whether it's Reagan for you here or JFK in recent history or, you know, whether, you know, when you think of Spain, you think of Franco, right? Uh, there's all these people who are somewhat uh, iconic, right? And Mao has always been the icon for uh, China with all his screw-ups and mistakes and his uh, people's revolution and uh, everything that he did, which eventually turned sour. And now, because of uh, the time that he's been there, a lot of people are saying this about Xi. And I got to tell you, some of the shit that Xi's fooled recently... I mean, this deal he did with the Saudis, I never in my wildest dreams would have thought that these two mortal enemies, the Saudis and the Iranians, would come together and shake hands and do a deal. Never, ever, ever. I never thought that could happen. And this dude, she made that happen. And now he's putting a 12-point deal together between Zelensky and Putin. He's coming together to try and stop the Ukraine war. So look at this image. The, 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 lead, the dude who's the leader in China, Xi, is putting a peace deal together between uh, Putin and uh, Zelensky. And we, in the form of crazy hair Boris Johnson, are sending people there to make sure they don't do a deal. How the hell does that look? How does that play in India with a billion people there? How does that play in China? How does that how does that story play out, you think? How do we look as Americans? How, how do we look? How does Rick Sanchez's country look? How does Remy's country look? How does Scotty's country look? How do you defend that shit, you know? 
not to take sides here with what's going on in Ukraine, but just to say the optics, the optics, the optics, they don't look good. But we don't even know because we don't know these things, right? If you watch CNN, you don't know this. Even if you read the Times or the Post, you don't know this. This is why, you know, as, as a journalist, for me, it's important to, to try and be fair about this information, to try and understand what, I, you know, whenever I, I want to know about what's going on, I, I never go to uh, the same sources. In fact, I often will say, uh, on I Google non-Western sources. I'll, I'll Google non-Western source on such and such a story. So I can understand what they're saying in Delhi or in Riyadh or in uh, some other part of the world and get that perspective. I mean, I'm not saying I don't watch CNN from time to time and I don't read the New York Times, which is a great newspaper, generally speaking, or the Washington Post. But if that's all you, it's if that's all, if that's where you live, I got to tell you, there's a bias and you're going to be misinformed, not because they're going to tell you something that's wrong because of what they're not going to tell you like the stuff that I just told you now. So that's why I turn to people who I think are more fair. In fact, if, 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 if I'm looking at a guest to talk to, to interview, and I know that he is shunned by, let's say, CNN or any of those, and I just use CNN as an example, but by any of the cable, the cable channels will not interview this person, then I definitely want to interview them. Then I definitely want to interview them. Because that means they're saying things that are different than what CNN or Fox or MSNBC or ABC or any of the others. Or by the way, they're all exactly the same. Except, you know, one of them votes right, the other one votes left. Who cares? So I, I will want to interview that kind of person. Saurabh Gupta, for example. Saurabh Gupta is one of the foremost experts on all things China. Which is why I sit down to talk to him. And here's my conversation with Surab. So how did she get to where he is? I, I'm, I'm starting like the rest of the world to become really curious. Who is this guy? It's, it's a fascinating question because, you know, in the Western world, it's already been, the answer is already laid out. Oh, she is the next Mao, or he is this authoritarian dictator, or totalitarian. Yeah. But Genius they, or monster, or yeah, somewhere exactly. in between, right? But they've already figured him, figured him out. And I'll say, you know, after this Congress, actually, he's become more of an enigma. Let me try to parse this a little bit as to who okay. he is. She himself has spoken that Chinese, modern Chinese history, I mean, post-liberation, post-1949 history, should not be looked at as two eras of Mao, that authoritarian, centralizing political leader, and Deng, that reformist, economically-minded, internationalist leader. These are, it should not be framed in that context. The two are intertwined. Hmm. And she himself is perhaps an intertwining of the two from a political perspective, he is a centralizer like Mao, although he hasn't centralized and made it a one-party dictatorship of the lines of Mao, including what, what Mao did institutionally. Uh, she really, she is still very much part of that larger central committee, but he has no, no doubt about it, many levers of control. But from an economic standpoint, his economic agenda is built exactly on that agenda which Deng laid down hmm. 
I mean, one can get trapped in some of the jargon. Deng talked of a principal contradiction in 1981. She talked about that in 2017. Deng talked of international circulation as part of opening up. She talks of dual circulation. It's basically on that foundation that, that Deng laid is the next stage of reform and opening up. It's even called mm. a new round of reform and opening up. So from an economic standpoint, he's very much Deng's successor. What I would say is that he's not as economically liberal as Deng is. Mm. And at the same time, he's not as politically conservative as Mao was. Hmm. And so he is a mix of the two. And that's why that creates, it's an enigmatic mix he, in a way. Here's the $60,000 question that I think most of the people who are watching this right now would probably think. Is he a communist? Totally. In his own view, in his view, he is very, very committed to the communist Marxist theoretical dialectic. Mm. But that dialectic, as we've seen through that in phrases of reform and opening up, is infinitely extensible and co-optable in terms of how it is from a capitalist and economic standpoint. It is in its, it's in its, yeah, because I have to stop you for a minute uh, yes. because I'm just thinking that you just said that to me. And as you're using the word communist, I'm thinking of Huawei, I'm thinking about the greatest chip industry perhaps anywhere in the world. How can those things be at the same time? Aren't they contradictory? I think they are contradictory, and I'll tell you this. And I'll be very frank about what is Xi's, uh, China, whatever, socialism with Chinese characteristics. I'll, 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 I'll be blunt about it. It is, an, it is an exercise in opportunism. All that works mm -hmm. is Chinese communism, is socialism with Chinese characteristics in, a, in, in the new era. All that doesn't work, it's got nothing to do with it. He's, he's, he, he knows. So, so, so I think what I'm hearing you say is, if it makes money for the people, i.e. for the country, for she, essentially, not that he's pocketing it, I'm not accusing him of doing that, although I'm sure he lives pretty large, uh, if it works for the country, then it's good. If it doesn't, get out of here, right? Yes, it well, does. Well, isn't that the same rule that capitalists live by? Precisely. I, call, I, I think of she, when I talk <laughs> about this, I think about Bill Clinton. You know, Bill Clinton, all the good things happen because of me, all the bad things happen because of other persons. <laughs> right. And that's exactly <laughs> socialism with Chinese characteristics in the new era. Right. So a company like Huawei yeah. makes him proud because it's the number one uh, mobile phone uh, manufacturer in the entire world. Yeah. Wow, that's a win. So it's allowed to compete with Apple or whatever other big company that we can compare it to here in the United States, even though it's a completely capitalistic venture, living within a communist environment. Yes. But any other company that comes along that doesn't get the sanctioning of the government, we're not even going to let you grow. Yeah. In, in, in that's a, the rule? That's, that, that's a rule. But the government itself takes a pretty broad view of what can play, who can play and who cannot. And yes, you know, in the last two years, there's been a lot about how he's smashing down Alibaba, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. If one looks in retrospect, the digital media requires antitrust regulation. He has the courage to bring the hammer down on those folks. You'd wish they'd do it in this country a little bit more mm. where 
digital media have become so powerful that and have such great lobbying power that they're now beyond regulation. Crypto tried to go that way, it's had a little problem Yeah, already. let's not even go to crypto right yeah. now. But, but that's the point about China. I mean, they have ample, think about it, you know, the hit on Xi is that, oh, he's trying to centralize the, not just politically, but also the state-owned enterprises. In the last 10 years, what has blossomed the most? The digital economy. Every one of those players are private players. The property sector brings so much, it's having problem in China right now. It's all private players. That's a fascinating thing you say because it leads us into the next part of the conversation. And I was alluding to this just a little while ago, what's happening in places like Latin America. And by the way, I, we use Latin America because, well, I happen to be a Latino, so I understand a little bit about what's going on in Latin America. You say uh, it's important for them to uh, have some kind of dominion in the tech space, for example. And at the same time, I was just referring to how many businesses in Latin America, how many convention centers they're opening, how many ports they're now working. All of this is happening at the same time. Well, if you go to Latin America and you talk to Pedro down there or Maria or Felicity or whoever, or quien sabe, as we say in Latin America, guess what they take out of their pocket? A phone that is made by Huawei or a phone or some other technology that is Chinese-based. Yeah. So they're, they're really working two prongs, while at the same time they're introducing all these things and creating power plants, et cetera, et cetera. They're also making sure that all Latin American citizens down there, their first time they can afford a phone, first time they can afford a TV, first time they can afford any kind of technology, it'll be Chinese technology, where 50 years ago it used to be an RCA. Yes. Exactly correct, exactly correct. They're going in the hard infrastructure space because they've done infrastructure so well at home, so they know they can take it abroad. And the Western countries sneer at it, so they can't come to the West, even though they are the Portugals and all who have allowed them to play. Mm. But So they go to Africa, they go to Latin America, who are willing, open, and willing, and-, and, and I, I want a cheap phone. Yeah, exactly. I want a cheap phone. I can't afford to pay for, uh, 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 you know, whatever it is that uh, the most of our friends use in the United States. Precisely. And in things like fintech and all, which Alibaba created, I mean, from any, using the digital universe, uh -huh. Latin America is underserved in that area. There are business models that China has perfected, that the private players in China have perfected at home, which they're taking out. And yes, there's the worry that there might, this is, this, there, there is the, the surveillance issue is, 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 might, be a, might be a problem. But if you ask an average African, developing Asian, or Latin American country, they will know, I mean, the United States government will get the information it needs that it needs to get from a private citizen in Latin America when it wants to. Hmm. And the, the Chinese can get it, the, Russia, the, 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 the United States can get it. Who cares? Wow, Surab, what, what, a, what a fascinating conversation. I learned so much when I talked to you. Thank you so much. You're most welcome. Really appreciate it. Yeah, I got to tell you, I enjoy talking to Surab about uh, all things uh, China. And I think he's fair. I mean... You almost sense in his voice he, he has a certain he has a certain kindness about him and and I think he's the kind of guy who uh, thinks through situations and and I got to tell you something else about guests. Um, I can share this because I've worked right in the industry. I worked at Fox. I worked at CNN. I worked at NBC. I worked at MSNBC. I've worked. I did reports for Dateline. I've worked in you know I know the American media. 
And I know that one of the things that they often do when it comes to guests is something called a pre-interview. So if they're going to interview uh, me, for example, they will first have a booker or an assistant booker call me and ask me the questions that the host is going to ask. And if I don't give the answers that they want to hear, they will then call me back and say, oh, sorry, we changed the show. There's been a breaking news story, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, we've uh, canceled your segment. Sorry about that. And they're always real careful. They'll say, can you come back next week? But they'll never call you next week. They'll never call you, period. So they're, they're real careful about who they have on. And they always want to make sure that the person that they have on is going to share the opinion of the host or say the things that fit the ideology of that particular network. You know, if it's Fox, it's got to be somebody who's going to, I guess, blast, you know, Biden. If it's CNN, it's got to be somebody who's going to, you know, blast Trump. And those are just, since they cover mostly just politics anyway, and they don't tell you about anything else important in the world, that, that's usually where they live. And, and that's really, really frustrating, you know, when you think about it. And here's the other thing they don't do. And here's why I like interviewing a guy like Surab Gupta, who you just heard from. Uh, Surab really doesn't have um, a dog in the fight, right? There, there are people who are interviewed every day on CNN who literally have contracts with uh, military industrial companies. They, they have a contract with, 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 with Pratt & Whitney or, or with, uh, you know, Raytheon or name your bomb maker or weapons maker. And, and they are paid as a consultant hundreds of thousands of dollars by that company. So it's in their best interest to promote anything that allows that company to make more money or sell more weapons. So they get interviewed on CNN about, you know, War X or Z, and the host says, well, what do you think of this situation in, uh, I don't know, Nairobi, where this war is going on? And they'll say, well, we really need to be very, very uh, engaged in that war. We need to send more troops, and we need to really go in there and get those bad guys, you know, and I'm just making this up, Nairobi, right? What, 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 what do you think they're going to say? <laughs> And CNN or Fox or NBC or AB, they will not tell you. Joining us now is General Petraeus. And yes, he's an example of this. We should warn you that General Petraeus has a contract with Raytheon. Raytheon pays him hundreds of thousands of dollars every year. Or even just, we should let you know that General Petraeus has a contract with Raytheon. It's okay. That doesn't mean I don't want to hear his opinion, but I want to know if his opinion is tinged or colored. But they won't tell you that. And then they interview Raytheon as just a former general, an American hero. And, and Petraeus comes on and says, yes, we need to bomb more. And those people that we're at war with are evil and horrible and bad. Well, thank you, General. And that's how they leave it. Well, it's not like CNN told you a lie. It's what they didn't tell you. They didn't tell you that Petraeus is making buck off of a company that's paying him to go out there and proliferate the war because when they proliferate the war, their stock goes up like it has since we've been in this shit with Ukraine. So again, as a journalist, as a guy with experience in this business, I can speak to this. Be forewarned. 
when you listen to these people on all of these channels, literally, beware of the messenger because they don't come with naivety and they don't speak without an interest. <laughs> it's pretty obvious to those of us who do know that they actually have a dog in the fight. I'm Rick Sanchez. By the way, uh, thank you for listening. I am, you know, I had to take a little hiatus for a while for personal reasons. And uh, since two weeks ago, we decided to start doing some podcasts again, thanks to Scotty Mednick and Mona and my son, Remy. And we said, what the hell? You know, apparently there are people out there who want to hear what I have to say because it's different. And we're finding out that those people are all over the world, all over the world. Those of you in India, those of you in the Middle East, um, those of you in France, Canada, thank you. Obviously, 60 to 70% of our audience is still in the United States, but a whopping 30% is coming from all over the place who want to hear different opinions. And I mean, we're getting tens of thousands of people already tuning in. Um, and all we want to do is just try and tell the truth as best we know it, or as fairly as we know it, because nobody owns the truth. I'm Rick Sanchez. Thanks so much for listening. This is the Rick Sanchez Podcast. Let us know what you think. See you again on the next go-around. Dolly. <laughs>